called us out of darkness. Left on our own, we would remain in that darkness. We would never come to the light on our own. And yet you drew us. And Father, all that you've given to the Son, he will lose none of them. So our assurance is in the work of Christ, not in our works. And that encourages us, Lord, and it causes us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. It drives us to live for you because you did so much for us. Lord, we are thankful to gather here today. We know that all, all could be here. There are some that have gone through procedures this week or surgery, some recovering from falls and difficulties, Lord. We do pray that they know that we love them and even as many are watching now, Lord, that you would be healing them and giving them strength and, Lord willing, return them to us, Lord. Father, we think of our missionaries scattered around the globe, ones that we support and many others out there who proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in, in cultures unlike ours, Lord, in many cases. And we pray that you would give them favor and strength and endurance, Lord. Pray that they would know that we love them and pray for them and, and often think of them, Lord. Uh, give so that they can be out there, Lord. Help them to know those things. And, but mostly, Lord, give them an a, a exuberant excitement for the gospel as they go to places that we can't, Lord. So thank you for sending them. May we be good at holding the rope as they go, Lord. Father, we thank you for the word, especially this passage in Mark chapter 7. Amaze us again at your great physician's son and all that he accomplishes, all pointing to a greater healing, our hearts, Lord. Show us this again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might have heard that there's a movie out that has some so-called gods who fly around the universe and try to help humans. Uh, a few people may have gone to that already. Um, but it's interesting as I thought about that, and as fun as those things are, there is only one God who passed through the heavens. <laughs> uh, yeah, they go through portholes or whatever they do. There is a God who passed through the heavens, Hebrews tells us. It is Jesus Christ. And he passed through the heavens in order to secure our salvation. He is the superhero of superheroes, isn't he? He is an amazing person. And he comes and to this earth and he hangs on a cross and the Father judges him for our sins and he, we are granted his righteousness and as we studied last week, our justification is proclaimed in his resurrection. And all those who reject him go to certain destruction but he loses none <laughs> as you watch some of those movies they certainly lose a lot of people you know big dragons knocking down buildings people are dying all over the place jesus loses none isn't that great all that the father gives to him he loses none i pray you're a gift from the father to the son and you know how you know that is that God gave you a desire. He opened your heart and flooded the knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing that he was your only hope for your sin. That's how you know you're a gift from the Father to the Son. And you put your faith, this God-given faith. And that's no fantasy. That is our great Heavenly Father. Well, this text is another beautiful text 
of a great sovereign physician. He, he's the perfect doctor. <laughs> he's a joy to study and a joy to watch. And, and here in this text, I think we are going to learn again amazing truths of one who can open the ears and unloose the tongue that no man could ever have done. Now, as we come back to the book of Mark, we realize that Jesus is about a year away from the cross. He is now getting extensive time with his disciples. Though it seems like the massive crowds are constantly interrupting, I want you to understand we only have about roughly 40 to 42 days of Jesus' life recorded. Many of these days he is getting with his disciples. There are great lessons happening. He is teaching them many things. John says if we recorded everything that he taught and that we've seen, surely the books would not, the world would not contain the books that we would write. But the Spirit of God has selected certain events here, certain events for us to know about. And he inspired the Word of God through men like Mark, who doubtlessly heard the preaching of Peter and recorded these. And these selected events, uh, they greatly affected the disciples. You have to understand, this was part of their training. These, these had great impact on them. Can you imagine going into a setting like this and Maybe some frustration by the disciples, like, well, here we go again. Here's the crowds again. And when they was all done, and, and, and the last verse in this text is completed, and everything is said, they probably stood there and said, wow. Wow. And so he's constantly teaching, constantly showing them who he was. The twelve have now confessed that Jesus is the Son of God by this point in the ministry. They've acknowledged that he alone has the words of life. What a statement. He alone has the words of life. They've acknowledged all that. And soon these, these 12, particularly the 11, we should say, because Judas is going to denounce Christ, but these 11 are going to be commissioned, commissioned to go out and do global ministry. In fact, think about this. They're going to be the first generation of gospel preachers. The first generation of gospel preachers who are going to go and carry a message that will reach the ends of the earth. Starting with these 11 men. But here in this text, we see this great sovereign physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's fascinating to study. You'll notice he has a global practice. <laughs> He's not just located in one area. He has a global practice. His message and his practice will reach to the ends of the earth. And he's going to show us that his designs are not only for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles as well. He's a compassionate doctor. He's a compassionate physician. We'll see that in the text. His compassion is like none other. He has the best side, the best bedside manners of any doctor. <laughs> Don't you love it when you get a doctor who loves you and understands you and is kind and considerate? Oh, there's nothing like this one. And notice this in the text. He heals people 100% of the time. <laughs> he doesn't lose any patients. He always nails it. His, his diagnostic is precision, right? He knows exactly the problem. And he always, always completes the healing. No man is like him. Well, let's look at a couple of thoughts this morning out of this text. Number one, our mission-minded great physician. Look at verse 31 with us. A little, little bit of 
uh, context of what's going on here. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came to Sidon, the the Sea of Galilee, to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. So Jesus and his disciples, they've been traveling outside the Jewish community now. We saw that last time before Easter, that they had moved over to Tyre and Sidon and, and, and have been working their way on that, uh, that seaboard of the Mediterranean there. There they met a Canaanite woman, you remember this, who had a daughter who was demon-possessed. And there Christ exposed this God-given faith, this amazing faith that she had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and his disciples were in awe of it. But here, this pagan woman, this Canaanite, the, the, the greatest enemies of Israel, God saves her and draws her to himself. Jesus was giving the disciples, and this is what you want to understand, this mission-minded great physician. He was giving the disciples a glimpse of the future. I am not just here for a, a small group of people. I'm here for the world. I'm here for every tribe and tongue and nation. And these Gentiles began streaming to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the gospel would one day explode and Peter would preach that first sermon. I love verses in Acts that remind me of this global ministry. Let me just read you this verse. Think about this. There was great discussion with the elders in Jerusalem over Gentiles coming to salvation, and here the apostles begin to remind them what's happening. And in Acts 13 48, this is such a precious verse. When the Gentiles heard this, that the gospel was coming to them, when the Gentiles heard this, that this was not just a Jewish doctrine or a Jewish theology, when they heard, when the Gentiles heard the gospel, listen what they say. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And in this sovereign phrase, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. What a precious statement. Remember I said, the great sovereign physician, he loses none of them. All that the Father appoints comes. And here he says, as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't that a beautiful text? It reminds you and I that we do not save people. Some of us have been preaching for years. And we will all tell you we've never saved a person. I needed to be saved myself. It is God who saves. And when he saves, people believe. That's the mark of salvation. You believe. Not in your own efforts, but you believe in the finished work of Christ. And faith takes hold of your heart. But notice again in 31 as we begin to see where they're at. They're moving now east. Jesus went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon. So he's actually moving north. He goes up. He's on the, he's on the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. He's north, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. He actually goes up. He bends his way around, drops down the backside of the Sea of Galilee, and he ends up in a place called Decapolis. Now, what's interesting is this is outside of the jurisdiction of Herod. Now, Herod had wanted to see Christ, and he wasn't a big fan. He just wanted to see some of the things he was doing. In fact, probably would have wanted to kill Christ if he could get his hands on him. But here he ends up in Decapolis. This is extremely pagan area. The word Decapolis, this is two, it's really two Greek words, deca for ten, and then polis, we would say states or cities, we translate it that way. So it's a region of Gentile, ten Gentile cities. And guess who's right in the middle of it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he's got a divine doctor's appointment. 
And he's going to do amazing things. These cities are very pagan. Um, I looked up all the gods that they believed in. They followed Zeus, Aphrodite, uh, Artemis, Dinus. I mean, they, all the major Greek gods they worshipped in every form of godless pagan worship you can imagine. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> with a bunch of Jewish disciples right in the middle of it. Can you imagine how Peter and James and John and those guys felt? You ever been outside your comfort zone? You ever been on the other side of the tracks? <laughs> Somewhere where you've not been before? And maybe you don't feel welcomed? Or somebody's looking at you? I, I think some, you know, many people have experienced this. Certainly our African-American friends have discovered this at times where there's been racial uh, warnings and threats and unstableness that some people that we don't always feel they go through at times well can you imagine these guys they're, they're in the pagan world Jesus already dragged them up to Samaria where the Samaritan woman got saved that was difficult enough but now we're in Decapolis we're, we're in the, the middle of pagan Gentile worship Demons and demon-possessed peoples. We've already seen Jesus in this area heal that man. What a mission lesson he was given. Isn't that incredible? It's so easy for us to get comfortable in things. And yet, here's our Lord taking the future apostles, the future teachers of the, of the church. He's going to show them, look, I'm going to save people from places that you can't even imagine. What a mission lesson Jesus was given well, clearly the news about Jesus had spread to these pagan areas. There were eyewitnesses. They had come into Galilee. They had been into Capernaum and different places. And so these eyewitnesses had known about him. But one special, the demon-possessed men, remember him in, uh, in the Gerasa. That's where Jesus landed on the boat, the demon-possessed man. Remember, he was living in the tombs. We all looked at this in Mark chapter 5. He came out. Do you remember what Jesus did with that man? Remember, he was dressed in his right mind, and he said, I want to go with you, Jesus. And what did Jesus do with him? So you go back and tell them what I have done for you. So this is possibly because they, he has not seen crowds like this. Remember that crowd, that crowd came up to him and they wanted Jesus to leave. They wanted no part of him. Now missionary boy, ex-demonic man, <laughs> he's been doing his job. He's been telling people about Jesus. And of course the crowds now are off the hook and they are pressing in on our Lord. And I think that's one of the reasons. But whatever the reasons, the crowds were once again massive and, and the private lessons gave way to a public lesson here. Look at Matthew chapter 15 with me. I want to show you where Matthew's the only one that just puts a snippet of this account. Mark is the only one that carries the whole account. But I want to show you something here in Matthew chapter 15. Verse 29. Matthew here sums up what Jesus is doing and he sums up much of the things, and some of these we don't see actually happen, but this account is in here. Matthew says this, departing from there, he's talking about Tyre, um, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, so he dropped down the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up into the mountains, he was sitting there. Large crowds came to him, bringing them those who were lame, crippled, blind, here we go, mute, there's our guy, and many others, and, they laid, and they, laid, they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd, here we go, marveled as they saw the mute speak, the crippled restored, the lame walk, and the blind seen, 
and they glorified, now look at this phrase, the God of Israel. So these pagan idol worshipers had, had heard about Jesus' power through the demonic or, or, or someone else, but now, they be, now they're experiencing him personally. And though most were probably after some, some type of welfare program, they wanted to be fed, they wanted to be healed, most probably did not see themselves as sinners in need of a savior, at that moment they marveled at this one who was from the God of Israel. Now, think for a moment about the contrast here. Here's all these pagan people. Jesus Christ is among them. He's doing things that only God can do. The pagans, the Bible says, marvel at him. The Jewish leaders who have the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 that talked about the coming one who would crush the head of the serpent to, to passages of Isaiah 53, which they had no idea was about but would point to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the promise of a Messiah all the way through the Old Testament, they did not marvel at Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I mean, people that have no hope are raised and given new health. New hearts of faith are given to these people, and they never marvel. Let me say something here. Religious people don't marvel. You know why? Because religious people are based on their own works. You're too consumed, or we can get too consumed with the things we've done, and Christ can do great things right before our noses, and we don't marvel because we're so caught up in our own righteousness. Isn't that interesting? That struck me. Uh, here he is in his homeland, his hometown. He was in Nazareth, and they tried to kill him. The religious leaders have plotted from day one how they might destroy him. And here we come into absolute pagans, who have never met him, and they marvel at him. I promise you, religion, religion as we would define it, as trying to gain your own righteousness, will rob you of a view of Christ. Be in awe of him. Ask God to give you a deeper awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God to exalt Christ in your heart and in your mind. Ask him to show you that he is as glorious as he's ever been. Otherwise, the opportunity to fall into just religious activity will rob you of the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder why Jesus and John the Baptist called a brood of vipers? He did, over and over. You brood of vipers. So often we see that Christ calls them out of who they really are. They were not concerned with their sin. They were not concerned with the glory of the Son of God on earth. They were concerned with their own power and their own, own authority. <laughs> this great sovereign physician, he's mission-minded. He's mission-minded. And he, he can heal people physically, and more importantly, he, feel, he heals people spiritually. And, and get this, he's irresistible. Christ is irresistible. And once you are granted faith, you are in his tractor beam, and he will pull you in, and you will love him. And you will be in awe of him. Second thought, the great physician's divine appointment book. Look at verse 32. Again, he went from 
excuse me, they brought, they brought to him, after he got to the capitalist, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. I don't know if you've ever seen a doctor's appointment book. I don't know if some of you doctors have to tell me, do you have your own? It's all on computer. My appointment book is on, a, on, on my computer screen. The gals put most of that in there. And, you know, it's chock full of all kinds of things that are going on. it. But could you imagine reading the divine appointment book, The Sovereign Plan of God? Yeah, today we're headed down to Decapolis in the heart of the pagan world. And there's one guy we're after. He can't hear you. And he can't talk to you. But you're going to heal him. What an amazing appointment book he has. And we've seen it all through here, haven't we seen? We've seen appointments with bleeding women. We've seen faith of Roman centurions. These divine appointments that the Lord has. And you think, oh, isn't that so wonderful? You're in his book. (laughs) Think about that. The Bible's very clear. He knew you from the foundations of the world. He didn't just kind of slip in the back door of, a, of the office, right? Well, hey, I don't have an appointment, but I'm here. <laughs> no, no, you're not some mistake. You're not some, well, somebody else dropped out. We slid you in. This all sounds, if you go to the doctor very often, these are terms you've heard, haven't you? Not with the Lord. <laughs> there's, no, there's no loss of anybody. He's divinely written your name into his divine appointment book from the foundations of the world. You're not some spiritual accident. He knows you. And I love this when I see this in the scripture. There's a deaf and mute man Christ has a divine appointment with. Though Matthew just mentions this account, Mark is the one that gives a detail to it. Notice in 32, there's somebody who brings this man um, he said, well, why, is, why can't he come on his own? Well, he can't hear. <laughs> and if he gets there, what's he going to say? He can't speak either. So, so somebody, family or friends, have brought this man to Jesus. Somebody is showing some compassion to him. And most likely, he's been deaf his entire life because he's unable to speak or speak plainly. So just think about that. If you've never heard a word, how would you say a word? Talk about that more in just a minute. And if you think about people who had special needs, a handicap within the ancient world, oh, was that a difficult time. You were ostracized. In the Jewish world, you were unclean because somebody sinned, your father or your mother or you, John 9, right? That's what they thought. So you're unclean. In the pagan world, the gods have not been happy with you, and I need to say and keep my distance from you. You imagine what life was like if you had some kind of special needs. Can you imagine the heartache of this man and this family? Can you imagine what they've been through, ostracized over and over? I think some families probably here understand that. I think God has been gracious and he's given us families who have uh, wonderful special needs, children in, our, in their families, and we love them today. And we're so grateful. And, and, and it, I, I can't imagine not coming to church and getting my hug from Jonathan. Where is Jonathan? There he is. Have you had a hug from him? If you haven't had a hug from that guy, you need to have one. It's just pure love. He just loves on you, and he's strong, too. This is not some flimsy hug. And then we have people like Anna and Sarah and Evie who teach in our social needs ministry who pour their life into these, these dear ones. The girls and I were talking Wednesday, Joni and Michelle, about heaven. And 
And they asked, they said, well, well, will we have, you know, will we have seizures? Will they be there in heaven? And, and it was able to give them the clear biblical answer that when we see your Savior, we will be like him. And they rejoiced over that as we talked about that after service on Wednesday. This is, this is the heart of our Lord. And if our Lord deals with those who go through special affirmities in this life, we should as well. I would implore you to get involved with our special needs ministry, with our children's ministry, with others. Notice that whoever these people are, they're imploring him to lay his hands on him. They, they, they had already come to some kind of faith that, that this Lord, this great physician, had some ability just to touch and people were healed. Maybe, maybe the story from the bleeding woman got out to them. And they are imploring. The word implore is pericoleto. It is, means to beg or to plead. This is a desperate situation. And yet, again, the Jewish leaders would have had no contact with a person like this. They would have never got close to him. But not our, not our sovereign great physician. He is unafraid of ceremony uncleaned. And you think about Jesus' life. He never became unclean, whether he was dealing with a leopard in the synagogue or a bleeding woman in the street or a demon-possessed outcast or, or a dead body of a little girl or a sick mother-in-law or a Gentile mute deaf person. He was never, never defiled. In fact, he was the one who could make them clean. Our country will move quickly if you watch, and if you're watching now, to mandatory abortion to special need babies. There is such a push on that already. If you are here and you're a young woman and you have gone, you have a child or you're pregnant, that, and they even think remotely that there's a problem, they will destroy that child. See, you go, well, well, boy, they're really bad back in the first century. We kill more babies than we can even count, it seems. There is, there is no hope in our world left without God to those who maybe even have any infirmities. The elderly, they're already trying to figure out how to get rid of you. You're just dead weight on the program. And they'll figure it out in time. And it doesn't take you long to look at societies around here. Mandatory abortions and euthanasia that goes on in, in China's and different places around the world that you don't hear, does not hit the press, but missionaries tell us the things that happen. Oh, God loves those who have firmities. God loves all of us. But here we see a very precious and very intimate setting where the Lord Jesus Christ has a divine appointment with a very special man. Third thought, the compassion of the great physician is on call. The compassionate great physician, he's on call. <laughs> you ever go to the hospital, boy, I hope my doctor's there. <laughs> uh, out west, uh, I, I, we've heard people kind of complain about the medical world out here and stuff like that. I go, oh, you just go need to go live in the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> You're just a number. <laughs> you show up at Kaiser Hospital. You, you know, doctor, what doctor? You got whatever's that guy is back there and you need to sit here for three hours and bleed while we wait for him. It's a different world. Um, we come out here and there's verses at your hospitals and, you know, people actually are kind to you. <laughs> I'll take that all the time. And, and, and yet, there's, there's nobody like Christ. Can you, can you imagine one like this who singles out this individual 
And I just love this scene. There's this massive pressing crowd on him and, and Jesus takes this special moment for this desperate man and he, he knows him because the Father has set this divine appointment aside and that's why he's there. He's been ignored and um, despised his entire life and yet the great physician is giving him time. I remember when one of our sons was going through a, a difficult illness and we finally got to a doctor who walked in the room, pulled up a chair and sat down and looked us in the eye and spent an hour with us. It was just so, so relieving, isn't it? And there's somebody that cares and that guy was just a human and, and yet here's our Lord doing this. And as we study, as you study for verses 33 through 35, you're gonna see something very interesting and the way you understand 33 through 35 is you, you must, like Jesus does here, you must understand this through the eyes of a deaf and mute man. You must look at it that way. And then this overwhelming act of kindness by Jesus is amazing. And what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to communicate with this man in a way that he can understand who Jesus is and what he's about to do. Now, notice in verse 33, it says this, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. He's respect, there's privacy, all of this in here. And he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Now, there are several things that he does here. There's a display of special attention that Jesus pulls this man aside from the, from the rest of the people. This is a man who cannot hear, he cannot speak, so he cannot, he cannot hear Jesus preach. He cannot hear the things that come from his, from his mouth. He, he cannot tell him what he's going through. This is an incredible case. But look how our Lord communicates to him with sign language. Number one, Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. If you can't hear and you can't speak, how are you going to tell the doc what's going on? Well, this doc ain't like anybody else. He knew this man. And so the first thing he does is he sticks his fingers in his ears. This lets the man know through sign language. That's what's incredible about this. Through sign language that he has a rightly diagnosed his medical problem. I know you can't hear me. Can you imagine what went through that man's heart just for a moment? He knows me. He knows my problem. As Jesus stuffs his fingers in his ears. Secondly, look, look at this. After spitting, he touches his tongue with saliva. Jesus is again through sign language telling the man that he knows he cannot speak. And, and though the saliva thing's a little gross... And in the ancient world, you have to understand, they believe that saliva had, had really special healing powers. <laughs> I'll let that comment go. It was about French kissing. We need to go there, you know. <laughs> that ship sailed. Sorry about that. The point is, the man, through the sign language <laughs> that Jesus is doing, understood that Jesus knew his affirmities and was intending to heal him. He can't hear, he can't speak, and yet Jesus is communicating with him perfectly. Isn't that amazing? Notice third, what he does. Look at verse 34 with me. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he says to him, Ephahath, that is, be open. Now, now, after touching his ears and his tongue, 
I think verse 34 is most important. Look what he does. And looking up to heaven. So, so Jesus is now communicating with this man who, who is... Um, who he is, I, I, I have power, I have authority from heaven, I, I'm God incarnate. So as this man looks at him and he begins to look at heaven as he's touched his ears and now his tongue, he gazes into heaven, he's showing the man, he's, he's giving sign language to say, my power is not of this world. Even if as a pagan, this was tremendously powerful. As our Lord looks up into heaven Telling this man through that sign language, I got power doctors on this earth don't have. (laughs) What a statement. And then fourth, notice this, and don't miss this in verse 34. He did this with a deep sigh. Well, what does that mean? Well, Well, I think it shows he had deep sympathy and compassion for one. No one had sighed over this man. This man was a nuisance. He doesn't know when to get out of the road. He can't hear. You can't understand him when he tries to, tries to communicate. He's just a nuisance. But, but here, Jesus has this deep sigh for him. So, so I think it's communicating sympathy and compassion. I think this man had rarely seen this. But I think it also communicates another thing. And I, I, this is my thought here. I think Jesus sighs over the devastation of sin. How desperate men and women are boys and girls, under the oppression of sin. Sin has fallen on this this creation, and everything that is created in this world has the effect of sin on it in one way or another. Everything's falling. Everything's coming down. You know, the the evolutionists and everybody else talks about how things are getting better. They're not. (laughs) They're not. There's more airborne diseases than we know what we can count now. There's all kinds of new problems happening. There's struggles going on everywhere. Climate and all kinds of things. Although God has all control over those, we see the effects of a world that is slowly having struggles. Not quick struggles, slow struggles. And nothing outside the hand of God, but I think he sighs because he sees that. And, and, and after all this, <laughs> these sign languages communicate by Jesus gave this man great hope I imagine and when he's all done with that he cries out this Arabic term because that would have been the language of the day and so he spoke in Arabic be open be open the Gentile world Mark records this statement in Arabic because it was important it was important for the disciples to see that Jesus spoke in their language he knew their language he cared about them. This is, this is mission stuff here, isn't it? And Jesus said, be open. And with the command by the great physician, his ears and his mouth of this man began to do what they had never done before. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Look at verse 35 with me. And his ears were opened in the impediment. Desmos is the Greek word. Bonds, chains, we would uh, actually, the Desmos is to interpret it chains way more. I think this is the only place we find it interpret impediment. The chains of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak plainly. What, a, what an amazing thought here in verse 35. The bonds of chains have come off of his communicating organs. They're free now. They've been in prison. 
Don't miss this. Don't, this is not just some repair job. This is, this is a miracle way beyond correcting a problem. This man was given the gift of language without speech therapy. I was talking to my sister-in-law. I called her yesterday. Um, the Davis, if you were at the wedding, you might have saw my nephew, Davis, a big tall kid, has implants. You can see he wears the, wears the implant uh, outer mechanism. Um, Davis, when he was one or two, one got spinal meningitis and lost all but 1% of his hearing. And they met with Miss America, um, the, the gal that was deaf, uh, and she begged them not to let him go into the deaf community, but to work, work hard. And Teresa and I rehearsed this yesterday, and we prayed with this as many years ago. We prayed with them through those times. And, and um, I remember her telling us back then, and then we rehearsed it yesterday. She said, we had to teach him to speak where he had no, no ability to form the word. He'd never heard the word before. So if you can't hear the word, how do you say the word? So it's constant work. And we have children here amongst our, our, our fellowship here that struggle with hearing impediments here. But she said you had to correct. He, he, there was no way he could hear it. And so we were working with 1% of hearing and hearing age, trying to help him mold his mouth right to say a word not only did he not know how to say or even understand because he had never heard it before. Word after word after word after word. Tireless hours. And if you meet Davis today, he'll come up, stick his hand out to you and say his name and want to know everything about you. His vision and his sight, he's into photography, he sees things that most people don't see. But there was tireless work in there. He's, he has such a gift from God. And we look forward to the day when David steps in the presence of the Lord and is like our Lord. But the point here is the Bible says, notice in the end of the verse, he spake plainly. Orthos is the word <laughs> to straighten or make right, orthopedics, uh, that kind of orthodontics, we get that, that word from that. This is supernatural. Christ gave this man ability to hear. He gave him the ability to understand. He gave him the ability to formulate words that he had never heard before. This isn't like a cochlear implant where all of a sudden you watch those videos and the little child hears for the first time. He's now communicating. This is beyond, beyond amazing. He's also the creator though. And don't forget that as we think about him as the great physician, he's the creator. And so he does something remarkable with this man. Fourth and last thought, the great physician orders are heard but not always obeyed. Notice in verse 36 through 37, he gave orders, he gave them orders, so he's speaking to him and whoever brought him, not to tell anyone. Remember he had pulled them, this is a private thing going on. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Well, clearly this man's joy was just absolutely magnified, and the natural response was to tell everyone, right? But Jesus instructs him and those with him not to tell anyone. The order was a command that Jesus, being the perfect God, was given. So it was a perfect command. But Why? Why would he do this? He didn't do this with the demonic, right? He healed him in the tombs of the Gerasah, and there he told him to go back. So he does that there. Well, this is a different crowd. And 
No one seems to know about Jesus back in that other crowd, but here they know about him. There's other times we see Jesus ask for silence because the crowd's already out of control. They're, they're, they're way out of control. They're trying to make him king before he goes to the cross and he's telling people there that, hey, do not tell people about this. There's already a euphoria going on that is beyond what I want. But I think, most importantly, Jesus does not want his position of the great physician to go ahead of his great savior position. See, there was a push to make Jesus someone that could rule and reign before he died for them. Satan tried to do that, didn't he? And these people are doing the same thing. Let's make him king. Let's, let's make him do what we want so we can rule and reign and we can all have perfect health care and we can all have all the food we want. Let's make him king. And Jesus knew that that wasn't good for them. He was not on earth to be a miracle worker. He was not on earth to, be a soup, to have a soup kitchen and simply feed people. He was not on earth for social justice and political power though he did many of these things. He was on earth to be a great savior. That's why he was there. And Jesus wanted nothing to get into the way of that. He said in Mark 10, 45, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10, the son of God has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 8, we'll see just in a couple of weeks here, he warned his disciples not to tell anybody about him. That he's the son of man and he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 8, be killed and be raised on the third day. That's why he came. And we get way ahead of God on some things sometimes. And you see what the church does today. We're all about healings. We're all about speaking this way or that way and doing all those things. And what gets lost is the gospel. Be careful what you listen to. Careful of the preachers and things that goes on out there. If they are not leading you to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's, if it's overshadowed with all these other things, building projects and, and, and special gifts and all those things, they will lead you straight away from the purpose of God. And that's gospel living day after day, trusting the Lord in good and difficult circumstances. That's what God wants from us. Notice at the end of verse 36, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Isn't it ironic? Jesus had healed the man's hearing, but he refused to listen. And Jesus healed the man's speech, and he refused to stop talking. <laughs> this kind of boggles your mind. I imagine it boggled the mind of the disciples. And I don't think they got a hold of this till after the resurrection when the Spirit of God fell upon them. Just last couple of thoughts here. Notice verse 7. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. It means rightly or correctly or perfectly. They're talking about this perfect healing. So they're utterly astonished with them. And, and they repeat what, they, what took place, right? And I think this is why this is an accurate event. Notice they repeat, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is not some fairy tale written in a Bible that the liberals say isn't inspired. These people are repeating exactly what happened. They're the eyewitnesses. They should have recognized this kind of power, though, especially when it comes to deaf and mute. 
Exodus chapter four, verse 11, particularly the Jews should have known this. The Lord said, who has made man's mouth? Who, have, who makes men mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? <laughs> and then when you get into some of these beautiful texts that really are a precursor to the millennial reign of Christ, Isaiah 29, 18, on that day the deaf will hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Isaiah 42, 18, great messianic passage. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. This has been talked about all through the scriptures. And yet everyone was astonished. So all these healings were pointing to something so much greater a greater hope of eternal life, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation between God and man. All of those who would repent and believe would have their ears open and their eyes open and their heart of stone taken out and given a heart of flesh so they could love God. And that's exactly what happened to you and me if you're a believer here today. God opened your ears. In a sense, he took his word and stuffed them in there. <laughs> He's giving you sign language. I'm the God of the Bible, and I can heal your hard ears, your deaf hearing. I can open you up to the truth of who I am. I can take the scales off of your eyes. I can pull out a heart of stone that's cold and calloused and headed for hell. And I can give you a heart of flesh that loves and serves me. And he did this all knowing us that while we were still sinners, God loved us, Romans 5, 8. And he drew us to himself. I got to quit because we're looking forward to the table here, but marvel at him. Don't let just these pagans, who probably many of them went back to work or did whatever, and we, we don't know what happens to them, but most of them probably reject Jesus as a Savior. Don't walk out of this room and say, oh, that was a great message on another miracle Jesus did. Does he done a miracle here? Is your heart changed? Please don't leave here without pleading for God to do that. Father, thank you for just a tremendous reminder of your divine appointments that you have. This is not someone you just stumbled into. You were going to show your power and authority. You were going to change this man's life. And Lord, you're so compassionate. You are the greatest of physicians. Your bedside manner is overwhelming. Your communication is perfect. And all to show the spiritual implications of hard hearts and deaf ears and blind eyes and mouths that can't praise God. And yet you've done all these things with us, Lord. Those who claim Jesus Christ in here have had their ears opened and their mouths released to praise the Lord. So Lord, now as we turn to your table in remembrance of this great work, stir our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.